the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh wanted to get an update on how you and the family are doing when you're all at home and you're trying to work from home. Uh, we're doing well. The weather's improving, thankfully, so the kids can get out of the house, bust up a little bit of that cabin fever. But uh, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. So we're going to get back to the days where our parents were like, just come back before it's dark, or, or we're not at that point yet. <laughs> I don't think we're there yet, but I did find myself saying, just go outside, which uh, <laughs> resonates with me, as that's what I heard a lot as a child. So I haven't had to say that in the past, but I did this past weekend. I just said, just go outside. How old are your uh, kids? I have uh, all boys, 14, 11, and 3. And uh, we took uh, this weekend to go. Uh, I have some acreage, so we have uh, we live on 11 acres, and we camped out this weekend, which is a lot of fun, except for I have a 14, 11-year-old and a 3-year-old all in a tent, and it poured. I don't, it was just awful. And we ended up going inside. The tent got wet. But we all had fun. It was good. Awesome, awesome. A 30% chance of rain that turned into a 1,000% chance of thunderstorms in the middle of the night. Makes for good memories, right? And your wife's like, I thought I was getting a break here. You guys get back outside and tough this out. It's just water. No, it was, it was good fun. Good deal. All right, let's get started. Reports are out that the second quarter uh, for the economy is going to be worse than the first. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think we're all still left with what's next. Uh, and that's the difficult part uh, is we don't know what the government's role will be uh, both locally and uh, and federally moving forward. We have gotten some indication as to what's next, you know, uh, this week. Stuff started opening back up. It seems like people are getting out a little bit more. Uh, and we don't know how quickly the economy is going to bounce back because we know how bad it's been. So let me answer your question. The U.S. economy in the first quarter had its sharpest, sharpest decline since the Great Recession. And uh, let's just go through some numbers because I think it's it, – unfortunately, none of the numbers are great. Uh, GDP was down almost 5% for last quarter, which is really, really bad. Um, the steepest pace of GDP contraction, just to give you how bad it was, that's the worst it's been since 2008. So we're going back to that Great Recession time in the way of looking at you know the sheer numbers. Um, stocks seem to shrug it off. By the way, they don't seem to. The stock market didn't seem to really mind, even though GDP was really bad. The stock market rallied. 
Um, and the stock market still, although volatile and bouncing around everywhere, seems to be holding. But consumer spending was down uh, more than two thirds uh, of the, uh, you know, the economy in the United States is based on consumer spending. And it tumbled almost 8% as well. Uh, and then business investment is down uh, over 8%, which is the sharpest decline since 2009. So the real question that everybody's tussling with is, is it going to bounce back now that we're turning the faucet back on or, or getting people back to work, getting people back out? And then there's also the secondary fear of, will there be a resurgence in the virus uh, going into a lot of people are saying, you know, and I'm not a doctor by any means, but a lot of people are saying, you know, come fall or come whenever, uh, could there be kind of a, a, a whip around where we get the virus back in and then we're back on quarantine again. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but there is one thing for certain, and that is when we're quarantined, it's not good for the economy. I read an article that was actually just advising people, you know, don't pay attention to rallies in the market or drops in the market. Just don't even look at it for a while. I think that's one approach, but I think, you know, while we shouldn't be emotional about our decisions, uh, we should certainly be pragmatic and we should plan. I think we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago, and that is I don't think that you should pull all your money out and run to cash and prepare for Armageddon and start, you know, stockpiling food in the basement necessarily. But I think that you should prepare for the possibility that things could get worse before they get better. And what does that look like in your house or what does that look like? with your job or with your retirement picture or with whatever it is you're, you're tangling with financially, that you may want to prepare for both sides of this. Uh, that means you should have some equity exposure, but it also means you should have, uh, you know, kind of a war chest of cash or a war chest of, of solidarity, something that you can work with if things do get worse. If you're concerned about the market, if you'd like to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, Give Josh's office a call to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Plan today, 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space does fill up fast. I know you get this question all the time, Josh, so I'm going to ask you, what do you tell people when they ask, how much money do I need to retire? You're right. This is a big one, and I get it all the time, and it's, it's a real big hot button for me because there's so much misinformation. Um, the, the short answer is, well, I guess that depends on what program you're using um, or it depends on how you're invested because I've run, uh, I mean, a ton of different financial planning programs, uh, all the way from ones that you see online that ask you four questions, that ones that are really encompassing that says, you know, set aside a weekend to enter all your information in and see how it spits out. And it seems like every single one of them will give you a different answer. So you're left as a as the you know, person looking to retire, you're left holding the bag trying to figure out how much do I actually need. Um, and, and there's logical reasons for why they would spit out different uh, numbers, and that's because they're, always, they're all using different, uh, you know, different algorithms or different assumptions. For example, if one is saying that it assumes that large cap stocks are going to grow at 7%, another one assumes that it's going to grow at 5%, obviously that's a, a gigantic difference in the amount of money that you would need to save and the amount of money that you need to have to retire on. Um, they use different uh, volatility metrics. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, when in, I don't think that should be the case. Another one that I see a lot, and we'll get back to the how much do you need to retire, is uh, we talked several weeks ago about required minimum or, uh, about Roth conversions. Excuse me. And one thing I see all the time is calculators with Roth conversions just use blanketed statements like "give me three numbers and I'll tell you where you should do a Roth conversion." There's no possible way you could come up with the answer to that off of three questions, but I see them out on the internet all the time. And you see it with financial planning software. But 
Now that you get kind of the long answer, here's the short answer. The easiest way to find out how much money you need to retire is you need to know the answer first of two questions. Number one, how much income do I need? And this is always a difficult one because every calculator uses a different example there before. You know, you'll see people say, well, you need 80% of your gross your gross income to retire, or you need 70% or 90%, or healthcare costs are going to go up, so you're going to need more than that, or whatever the numbers are. The easiest way or the greatest place to start is how much are you bringing home from work every two weeks or by, you know, twice a month or once a month, however you're paid. How much are you bringing home now? Because if you're living on how much you're bringing home now, then moving forward, as long as you adjust that for inflation and nothing drastic happens in your life, you should be okay on that amount of money moving forward if it's working today. So that's the easiest place to start. Because you know people say, I'm li you know, I make $100,000 a year, so I know I need $80,000 a year when I retire. When in reality, they're saving so much into their 401k or they have you know, so much pulled out for different reasons that you ask them how much you're actually living on, they go, oh, my paycheck's only $1,500 every two weeks. Well, then you don't need, need $80,000 a year. You need a net of $1,500 every two weeks. So that's the, the, the great first place to start. Then the second place, uh, or the second number that you really need is then how much money do I need to have saved to achieve that, right? And that's a little bit more complicated question because it, it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on what your assumptions are for these things. And this is where it needs to get very customized because everybody's different. My job is to give you what I think are the right assumptions based upon historical data. For example, what do you think inflation is going to be moving forward? I have people all over the board. Uh, I don't think it's going to be significant at all. I would like to assume X. Or I, you know, I really think that uh, with government spending and with things like the coronavirus going, right now, going on right now and we have stimuluses and all these things, that money has to come from somewhere. I think inflation is going to go up. Whatever your answer is, uh, we need to insert that. Well, if you're assuming a 2.5% inflation rate versus a 5% inflation rate, obviously different amount of money that you need to start with. And then how do you want to be invested? And I feel like I'm taking what you were hoping was going to be a very simple answer and, and making it complicated. But it's important that everybody's number is different because if you're invested purely in, let's say, fixed annuities earning 3 or 4% versus somebody who's invested in something that has an anticipated growth rate of 7%, that's a different amount of money that you need to start with. But there's also different challenges. That person with a 3% annuity doesn't have to worry about volatility at all. It doesn't exist to them. But the person with maybe that anticipated rate of return of 7 or 8% has the lion's share of their money in the stock market. They do have to account for that volatility. So what I very much caution everyone on uh, is do not hear blanketed statements and apply them to your life as if those blanketed statements were custom designed for you. Uh, I hear very often, well, my friend told me that I need this, or I heard on Squawk Box on CNBC that I need to have this amount of money. And it, it, that doesn't apply to you. Those are generic blanketed statements that apply to a good amount of the populace based upon some factors that they're not even disclosing to you. So be very cautious with that and understand if you're going to use a program on your own, understand exactly what the assumptions are within that program and then work backwards. But short answer is start with how much you're living on today. Use that as how much you're going to need moving forward. Assign an inflation rate to it adjust it for items like our house will be paid off so I won't have a house payment in five years or whatever applies to your scenario and then look at how you want to invest and you can come up with a realistic number of how much money I need. This obviously is what I do for a living so it sounds very simple to me 
I understand that it can get a little bit, uh, a little bit complicated, but that's the starting point, and then you dive in deeper from there. Well, and I think people really don't think about how they're going to spend their retirement, you know, to ask themselves questions like, do you want to travel? Do you and your spouse, have you had the conversation of, of what retirement, how you're going to spend that time and how much that's going to cost? Yeah, and I can only tell you one thing uh, for certain. I think I have yet to have one client out of every client I've had, one that stuck exactly to the plan in the first year. It, it, invariably, the first year is the wild card. After that, things seem to settle in. But for the first year, you either traveled all the places that you wanted to travel your entire career and you couldn't do it because you didn't have enough vacation time. And then your first year is really expensive compared to the remainder of the years. Or, uh, and this is the exact polar opposite of that, you're pretty terrified about the fact that you no longer have a job and you have to live off your resources for the rest of your life. And people who are perpetual savers and conservative by nature, which is the vast majority of my clients, they kind of clam in and they go, I don't want to spend anything because I want to make sure that I don't run out of money, even though we have a plan that shows them they're not going to run out of money. And sometimes they'll say, well, I needed, you know, the plan says I need six grand a month. And they'll come back after the first year and go, you know, I ended up saving 20 grand off of that six grand a month because I, I didn't do anything. I was very paranoid. So, you know, you have to have some room for that kind of stuff. But uh, two things that are the big ones are travel and healthcare costs. Those are the two ones that I hear the most that you have to take into account for. I want to be, I want to make sure that I have a contingency plan for increasing healthcare costs in the long run. And I want to make sure that I don't have to live restricted on a budget and not do all the things that I worked so hard to do. I wanted to, I worked hard my whole life so I could take these vacations. We have to plan for that, but it's all very, very doable. And you have to make sure you and your spouse are on the same page when it comes to retirement, too. You might have two different uh, ideas of spending. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. When we come back, what happens if your employer-sponsored retirement plan is suspended? I'm Diane Brennan. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, we've talked a lot about what to do with your employer-sponsored retirement plan. If you get laid off, but what happens if they just suspend it? I think you're going to start to see this more and more, Diane, as companies uh, start to feel the pinch. If you know, we talked about just just before that, you know, we're starting to see a lot of bad data. And although that bad data is, is certainly an issue, I don't feel like, at least as I walk around, uh, you know, in northern Columbus here where I live, I don't see that it, it, it's really hit home yet on a lot of the small businesses in particular. 
and if uh, we don't figure out a way to come out of the other end of the tunnel on this, I think you're going to start to see a lot of those small businesses have a really, really difficult time. Not that large businesses won't, but most of those small businesses and large businesses, for the most part, have some sort of retirement plan. And a lot of those retirement plans have costs associated with maintaining them and also have matches. So one of the huge benefits to a 401k plan is I put in, you know, 500 bucks and my employee, my employer matches $500. Well, as these employers start to feel that crunch uh, of the markets and of just a, a decreased demand, you're going to see them looking to pinch pennies everywhere uh, so they don't have to lay people off. And you're starting to see a lot of 401k plans go by the wayside. This may sound like a very small number, but the, uh, there's a, a council called the Plan Sponsor Council of America. 1.3%, uh, this is just in the first quarter, of the people that uh, were polled through that entity said that they have eliminated and or suspended their 401k plan. And that number is even higher when you look at small businesses. So you're going to have this scenario where, although you might maintain your job, uh, you might keep your job, which is obviously ideal. You may not have a place to save retirement assets because you just simply don't have a 401k plan anymore. There's a couple things you can do. Um, number one, there are other individualized retirement plans you can utilize, like an IRA, for example, which literally stands for Individual Retirement Account. So you shift what you were contributing before to your 401k. You shift that dollar amount to your IRA. Now, it's a little bit more cumbersome because when you work for an employer, you just tell them how much you want withheld from your paycheck. You don't actually have to physically do anything other than just go on some website usually and click it in. Here, you have to take the time to say, I want that money withdrawn from my personal checking account. You can automate it very similarly so you don't actually feel the money hit your account. It just kind of comes and goes. But you can put in, uh, in this, if you don't have an employer plan, uh, you can put in uh, up to the maximum uh, into that account, which does have some restrictions, remember, because if you have a 401k, you can put up to $19,000 into that account. If you have a, uh, an IRA, you can only put in uh, $6,000. So there is a less amount if you were saving $19,000. You can't do as much, um, but you could do that for your spouse as well. But it is a way to save pre-tax, and that's the big, the big push here, is you can save pre-tax, save those tax dollars today, grows tax-deferred, pulls out taxable, just like a 401k. So you've literally built your own 401k. The other real challenge is not only will some plans be suspended. So obviously if they're suspended, you can no longer contribute to them. So you start your own IRA, you continue to, to contribute to that IRA and your assets stay in your old 401k. If you want them to, you can obviously roll that to your own IRA, but you could theoretically leave them if the plan is just suspended. But what if they terminate your plan altogether? You may not have the option of leaving those funds in that 401k. So your timetable just got accelerated quite dramatically. Now you have to do something with it and you can do the exact same thing. You can roll those monies into your own IRA, which something we do all the time, but can be challenging. What are the costs of that IRA? What are the investment options available inside of that IRA? What are the upsides, the downsides? What are, there's a lot of questions you need to answer. It's not something you should jump into. You should certainly do a lot of research or consult somebody like uh, like myself, to make sure that you know what your choices are. But there are still options. The real big uh, issue here is do not quit saving. If you have, And that's one, I know it seems odd, but it happens all the time because it is a little bit of a cumbersome process to go and actually, uh, you know, change things up, uh, particularly during these times. But now is going to be arguably some of the best times to invest in the stock market over the next couple of years. You don't want to lose that couple of years or, or six months or a year funding towards your retirement. It can really throw you off track. One year now could be worth 
two or three years of retirement later. Do you see companies, I can understand them not matching anymore, but there are actually some that are just completely getting rid of their 401ks altogether. There are, and the reason for that is there's administration costs to the employer to maintain a 401k. Uh, every 401k has to have something called a third-party administrator or a TPA. And the purpose of that third-party administrator is to make sure that the 401k is uh, following all the guidelines that are required by federal law, meaning you don't have your uh, highly compensated employees uh, you know, getting too much benefit out of the 401k versus uh, all of the rest of the employees of the company. Um, is that, you know, one of the risks of a 401k obviously is, uh, you know, is it, is my money really there? You know, if you're an employee, you want to make sure that, okay, I'm saving this money, but I want to make sure my employee, my employer isn't just somehow squandering this money away into a side account. I want to make sure that this is actually in the up and up. So a third party administrator is, is, is almost like a, a, a trusted entity to make sure that we're following the laws and that my money is where they say it is. So they're pretty important, but there's a cost associated obviously with that. So not only does the employer have a cost in matching, but the employer actually has a cost in having the plan altogether. And those costs can be nominal, uh, you know, a few thousand dollars a year for a very, very small company, all the way up into very, very expensive. So it's another area for them to cut costs. So, yeah, we're seeing it. You were talking about the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA. Can a person contribute to, to both or does it have to be one or the other? No, they have to pick. Um, and there's benefits to both. And you shouldn't take that decision just haphazardly. Meaning that Roth IRA's huge benefit, I know we've talked about this in previous shows, the huge benefit of the Roth IRA is uh, all the gains inside of the contract are completely tax-free for the rest of your life. There's no minimum required distributions. There's just a host of reasons why Roth IRAs are arguably one of the best sections of the U.S. tax code. That said, they really shine uh, based upon how much time you're invested in them and also based upon what tax bracket you're in today and what tax bracket you think you'll be in later. So... Uh, many times it is more advantageous to actually invest into a traditional IRA than a Roth IRA, and many times vice versa. So you have to make that decision, but you cannot do both. One thing you can do, though, is if you are married and, you know, let's say you were saving uh, $12,000 a year into your 401k and you go, man, this stinks. Um, I'm, you know, no longer allowed to contribute to my 401k and I would really like to put $12,000 in. Even if your spouse does not work, as long as you have the earned income to justify it, you can open up an IRA for both you and your spouse. So you can kind of double dip it even in single uh, income households. So there are options there, but some consideration does need to be made and whether or not you should be doing the Roth option or the traditional option. If you have questions about what Josh is talking about, if you're concerned about the market, you'd like to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, give Josh's office a call to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, with a great many investment portfolios down a good 15% or more or so, what advice can you give retirees to help them make up for that lost source of income? Well, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, one being just live on less money, but that's not a very favorable one. Um, but typically, there's a couple different ways on how you can derive retirement income. And a lot of this depends on where you start um, and how you start with drawing income. For example, there's two theories. Uh, one being, and this is put out by uh, the American College of Retirement Income. One is I start pulling out 4%. If I start pulling out 4% of my portfolio, I can pull out that level 4% for the rest of my life and basically ignore the changes of the uh, portfolio, meaning portfolio goes up 20%, 
goes down 20%. I look at what it was to start. Let's add a million dollars. I pull out $40,000 a year. I adjust it for inflation every year, but I just keep it at 40 adjusted for inflation for the rest of my life. That's at 4%. The other theory is uh, I start at 4.5%. So I'm pulling out a little bit more money every year, but then you have to adjust it based upon how uh, based on portfolio drops. So for example, let's say the portfolio drops 15%. I started 4.5%. I have to ratchet that back 15% with the drop. So a lot of this depends, Diane, on where you started, right? If you started at a very low withdrawal rate, let's say you're only pulling out 2 or 3% of your assets, then this drop, really, you don't need to adjust for it at all. You just keep on living the way you've been living. But if you were very aggressive and you were pulling out 5 or maybe even 6% of your portfolio along the way, then you probably need to make some concessions or you're really jeopardizing the long-term uh, success of, of your plan, or, or at least you're, you're minimizing the risk of it running out of money. Obviously, all of this is hinged upon how you're invested, but create a retirement income plan, number one. Actually sit down and make sure that your plan is viable moving forward. Were you on track before, or did you just make a haphazard decision? Because at the beginning of this, I started talking about you know some very basic financial planning um, rules to live by but that doesn't mean that it applies to your scenario. Is there something down the line that is gonna reduce your income draw? Uh, is there something down the line that's gonna increase your income draw? Now's a great time to reevaluate and create a retirement income plan. The other one, and I talked about this earlier, regardless of where your portfolio was, did you have enough money in fixed assets to weather the storm? In other words, every client that I have, the vast majority of their income uh, comes from assets that do not fluctuate the same way the overall market fluctuates. So we're not as worried about short-term fluctuations. We're worried about, about long-term rates of return. So where were you drawing your income from? Was it a risky play to begin with? Should I have added more stability to my portfolio a long time ago? And should I do it now, now that I have the opportunity and reevaluate? Have I been paying too much in fees? You know, these are all things that you should reevaluate. I see a lot of people that when they come in, they're just paying an exorbitant amount in fees. And fees are literally just coming right out of your pocket. If you're paying three, two, three percent in fees every year, let's figure out a way to lower the fees. Uh, that's money that goes back into your pocket. What about tax rates? Where are you drawing your money from? Is there a way that we can increase your income by taking some of that income from a source that isn't taxed the same way as maybe the one you were drawing from, which means we have to pull out less money? Because it's not how much you have and how much income you derive. It's how much you get to keep after the tax man comes through. So let's reevaluate everything and create a plan that's viable for the long run. This is a very, it's a significant, but it's a very common gyration in the market. Uh, I promise you over the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to have another. I don't know what it's going to be. It's not going to be the coronavirus, but it's going to be something. Um, hopefully it's not the coronavirus, but it's going to be something. And now's a great time to balance your portfolio in a way or balance your retirement income plan in a way that you're prepared for these types of things. So my advice, Diane, unfortunately, I can't give a blanketed statement of do this one thing, but I can give a blanketed statement of now is a tremendous time to reevaluate and make sure that your income is coming in as low taxed as possible, as secure as possible, and that these short-term gyrations are not going to affect your long-term plan. So do some planning today. And go through the Aptis Retirement Blueprint process with Josh to schedule your complimentary customized planning session. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. When we come back, a topic that's tough to deal with, planning retirement for the loss of a spouse. 
I'm Diane Brennan. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. It's a tough topic, the loss of a spouse. And Josh, what kind of advice can you give us to help prepare our retirement for that? Well, I think number one, um, and I think, man, we're really reaching back here, but I think the first show we ever did, Diane, uh, we talked about kind of one of the reasons that I got into the business, and it was my father passed away uh, rather young. He was only 40. I was uh, just a teenager at the time, and I saw this firsthand. I saw how does you know a grieving spouse deal with uh, that loss, and particularly when the spouse was not the financial person of the household. Um, so... You know, my mother was left with decisions to be made that she never had to make before. Um, it was one of those types of uh, scenarios, which was very common at the time, I'm sure, of, you know, my dad took care of all the finance stuff. So my mom didn't do any of that stuff. So now she's left with raising two kids, dealing with the loss of her spouse, and also making decisions that she never even considered before. So my first uh, answer to that is take your time. Don't rush into anything and don't listen necessarily to the first person that you talk to. But all of that being said, you do have to do some things. You have to get some wheels in motion. Um, first step, obviously gather all the documents. So get everything together. Take a financial inventory of everything that you have. And one thing that I tell all my clients is particularly in today's day and age of everything being online, um, we get electronic statements for everything. Uh, very little comes in the mail via paper is you should do this today if you're in a relation if you're if you're married you have kids or not it really doesn't matter actually but make sure you have a place that somebody knows where you have everything at least line itemed out uh, i had a client this is going back several years but um you know the guy divorced uh, guy had one child and he had everything sent to him electronic nobody knew what his passwords were Nobody knew anything. Nobody had any way of accessing it. It took us over a year just to find out where everything was um, because I didn't manage all of the assets. So while I knew where everything was on my end, we had another, and it was a large sum of money that we, it took us forever to find. So make sure you have somewhere where that information is documented that should something happen to me, you know, break the glass in the, in the case of an emergency and open this up so we, at least we know where everything is. So Find that. If it's not there, you're going to have to take inventory on your own. Um, so it's important that as we're going through the retirement planning process or just financial planning in general, keep good records and take inventory. Next, insurance policies, annuities, whatever it is, you need to start changing the ownership or making claims. So uh, call the insurance company. Let them know this person has passed away. What is the process for beginning that claim? And I'll give you a heads up, just insurance companies uh, on this, although insurance is great to have, life insurance obviously is hypercritical in times like these, particularly with young families. It does take time. Um, plan on it taking, you know, two, three, four weeks before you actually get the money. So you don't want to wait until, oh, man, I guess I, I guess I should start filing these claims because the checking account's getting low. 
you need to do it sooner rather than later. And it is a process. Uh, they'll send you out a packet and you have to go through it. Same thing applies with, you know, 401k at work, IRAs, et cetera. You want to start changing the ownership of those things. And you have some decisions to make that you don't need, you can't take lightly on some of this stuff. Like, for example, let's say you had an annuity contract and it had, it has choices. Do I want to take it over as a spouse? Do I want to take a lump sum? Do I want to take a benefit for the rest of my life? Um, I, you know, there's these things called non-qualified stretches. What, what the heck is that? Would that benefit me? It can get complicated, but these decisions once made, they're now made and they're yours for good. And the decisions have to be made many times, you know, within six to 12 months of the passing of your spouse. So unfortunately I say in one breath, I say, take your time. In another breath, I say, you got to get moving. Um, I guess I don't want you to ask, act hastily, but you do need to start take steps, taking steps moving forward. And then the big question, Diane, is what do I do with the money uh, after that? And, you know, particularly if you were the spouse that did not handle the finances or finances are not your ballywick, sometimes, you know, if you're, let's say, 40 years old and you inherit a million dollars, it sounds like an amount of money that I could never run out. Um, you know, I, I just went from, uh, you know, just conceptually, we were living on $60,000 a year, now I have a million dollars. I should be good. I can go do a lot of stuff. And while y you are probably pretty good with, with a large sum of money like that, if, if those were the numbers that we were dealing with in the long run, it does not mean that you can just carte blanche start spending money. You have to start allocating these dollars to what the future needs are, whether that's college, retirement, um, purchase of a home, all the things that we normally do with uh, retirement income planning. The problem is emotions can get in the way. And I've, I've seen this firsthand, and I, I, I don't take it lightly, but uh, you need to have uh, somebody in your corner that's being pragmatic, that's being logical, and that's keeping you set on some sort of path. Because in that time of, I'm sure you know of scenarios like this, in that time of huge distress is not the time to be making really, really large financial decisions. It just isn't. So uh, certainly uh, find somebody that can help you out that you trust, but don't necessarily just start making rash decisions and then allocate where the money should go and uh, move forward. Has the SECURE Act changed anything? So I understand with tax purposes, some people might, a spouse might want to refuse or disclaim assets. Yeah, the CARE Act has changed some things. Um, you know, you don't have as much time as you had before to, you know, before the CARE Act, let me step back. Before the CARE Act, you could, if you could take a, uh, essentially, you could take payout over these assets over the rest of your life and kind of kick the can on the, taxation of the assets. Now, if you're a if you're a spouse, you can still you can still do that. You spousally endorse the IRA. However, if you're not a spouse, uh, domestic partnership, uh, a parent uh, was the one that passed. You no longer have that amount of time. So if you're trying to kick the can on the taxation piece of it, which is I believe what you're asking me, you're on a more limited time crunch now. You only have a, a, a smaller window of 10 years to take all the assets and dump them. Uh, so it has changed the game. Um, while it's benefited us in some capacity, it's also uh, kind of made the tax uh, issue a little bit more difficult to deal with. Again, another reason why if this is not your thing and you are not completely comfortable with what I should be doing, it can make a very, very, very dramatic difference as to how much taxes you pay uh, and how your assets grow. And here's a perfect example. If you don't understand investing at all, and you take this on your on yourself, and this has not been your thing, there's something called the Rule of 72, which I, I harp on a lot. 
Um, but the rule 72 simply states that you take 72, you divide it by the interest rate that you think you're going to receive, and it tells you how much, how long money will take to double. So if you're getting a 7 7.2% rate of return, it takes 10 years to double your money. Well, if you make a rash decision and you only get a 3.5% rate of return versus a 7% rate of return, think about doubling your money in twice the amount of time. I mean, we could be talking about, hey, I inherited $100,000, I invested it poorly, and it cost me $500,000 down the line, not just the little bit of gain the first year. I mean, it's a dramatic, dramatic difference. So get somebody in your corner who you trust um, that can help you navigate the complicated waters of uh, both taxes and just the labyrinth of, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years. And just filling out the claim paperwork can be really cumbersome and confusing, and everybody's paperwork is different. So it can be overwhelming. Get somebody in your corner. To schedule your customized planning session, it's complimentary. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. Josh, I came across an article that talked about the difference between payout rates of fixed annuities compared to investment portfolio distributions. Is this something we even need to look at? Well, first, let's say what it is. Um, and it's important when we talk about all these types of things to remember where the article is coming from, right? I mean, we have such an, we're inundated with so much information on a daily basis. We read it, it's written well, so we automatically assume that it's giving us all the facts, which in reality it's not. For example, uh, I see the argument on both sides between payout rates of fixed annuities and investment portfolio distributions as one being better than the other. And then they'll give you, a, the, whoever the author of that particular article is, will give you the reasons to point you in the direction of whatever they're trying to lead you to, right? But here's the issue. So fixed annuities in general, and if we're talking about fixed annuities, we're usually talking about immediate annuities and the purpose of these articles. The payout rate will be significantly higher. In other words, uh, we look at a portfolio of stocks and bonds, and I just got done saying earlier today you should stick to around 4% as a withdrawal rate. Well, if I look at it, I have a million dollars and 4% as a withdrawal rate is only $40,000. And then I go, what if I just take a million dollars and I buy a median annuity? And they say, we'll pay, we'll pay $60,000 a year. You go, well, that 60 is a lot better than 40, right? With one problem. And the problem is the annuity in most instances, there are exceptions, but in most instances are not adjusted for inflation. So that 4% number that I gave you on the overall portfolio stocks and bonds does take into account an adjustment for inflation. Well, let's go back to that old rule of 72. And uh, let's assume that we're using a 3% inflation rate. That means money will double every 24 years. So if you retire when you're 65, by the time you're less than 90, but let's just say 90, by the time you're 90, you're going to need twice as much money to live the same way. So if you started at 60, that sounds great. The other one started at 40. Well, I'll have 80,000 a year out of one and the other 60. Now, you might still go with the 60 because you go, that's still, where's my break-even point? Obviously, I'm using just fictional numbers here. The, the separation between the two would not be that great. Um, so don't think that you start with 40 and 1 and 60 and the other. This is just a generic example. But uh, one is called a nominal rate of return. That's the annuity. Nominal meaning not adjusted for inflation, not real dollars. The other one's real, uh, real income, which is inflation adjusted. So it's important to note the difference between the two. And it's obviously clearly important that we're adjusting for inflation. I mean, milk is not going to be the same price today or 25 years from now as it is today, and neither will everything else, Healthcare being the big wild card. So you have to have some sort of inflation adjustment built into your portfolio. Now, I said that that's the case with most. There are some annuities out there, albeit uh, they're anomalies, that do uh, adjust for inflation, some of them adequately, some of them unbelievably. 
Um, so they're not all created equal. I'm not bashing annuities by any uh, stretch of the imagination. In my estimation, actually, I think you need both of them. And I, you know, I'm not alone in that that uh, that opinion. But you should have more than one income source, uh, and you should have uh, both stocks, bonds, and annuities in your portfolio. And you should pick the right one of each of those. Obviously, not all stocks are created equal either. So just to explain, you know, which one's better, which one's worse, there isn't one that's better or one that's worse. They just work differently. And you need to understand how that affects your particular situation. And you're going to go through this with your clients when you do the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process with them. And to schedule yours, your customized planning session, you can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That number is 614-364-7300. When we come back, we're going to talk about retirement income. I'm Diane Brennan, and you're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. I feel like we've talked a lot about retirement income, but let's get your thoughts, Josh, on how many sources you think people should actually have. Well, you know, I, I heard this when I first started in the business, and I'm sure you've heard it, uh, or maybe not in reference to finance, but in reference to a lot of different things. But there's been books written about this called The Three-Legged Stool. And the concept there is uh, they've done a lot of research, and while, you know, having 12 sources of income is fantastic. It seems like the optimal number is three. You want to have three different sources of income. Now, it makes logical sense, right? If you were, if you owned a store and you only had one item to sell and then that one item goes out of favor, you no longer have a store. Or, or if you had a business and you only sold one item, you, you no longer have a business. So that diversification of income, same with stocks. You don't want to own just one stock. You want to have multiple stocks, obviously more than three when it talks about stocks. But you want to have that diversification of income the same way you want to have the diversification in your portfolio in case the market fluctuates. Now, what are some of those sources of income, though? It does not mean that you need to have necessarily, you know, I have rental property, I run my own business, and I have stocks and bonds. I mean, Social Security is a source of income. Um, Social Security has some upsides and downsides. The upsides of Social Security, for the most part, it's been adjusted for inflation. We don't know what the future holds, but historically it has adjusted for inflation. It's very tax advantaged in that not 100% of it is taxed, and it lasts for the rest of your life. Not only does it last for the rest of your life, but there's also a death benefit type contingency to it. So in the event that something were to happen to me, my spouse would get the greater of 100% of their social sec- her social security or mine. So that's the benefits of social security. Downsides of social security. Um, I don't get to set what that inflation adjustment is. The government does it for me. Uh, I don't get to decide... Um, that I don't want to take it. Uh, 
past 70. I have to take it then. There's, there's no advantage to me waiting any longer than that. In the event that I pass away early, obviously my beneficiaries don't get anything beyond my spouse. So this money is only good for myself and my spouse, and then it, it, it dies there. But it is a source of income. Defined benefit plans, pensions, uh, et cetera, those are also a source of income. Annuities, great source of income. It's essentially building your own pension plan. So if you just had uh, Social Security and an annuity, you would have two sources of income. Then you add in your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, ETFs, whatever you might have. Uh, that is a third source of income. Why is this advantageous? Well, you want to have as much guaranteed income as you can possibly have so that you don't have to worry about fluctuation in the market like this. But you also want to make sure that you're adjusted for inflation. And you also want to make sure that in the event, God forbid, something happens to you uh, much younger than you anticipated, that you didn't work your entire life for nobody to get the money. Um, that's something that I hear all the time, Diane, is I, I, I love annuities, but I want to make sure that you know, it's not a bet with me and the insurance company that if I die tomorrow, my, my kids don't get my money. Uh, my kids are, I hear this all the time. My kids are secondary. I want to make sure that I'm taken care of, but I also want to make sure that I didn't just give the, I didn't, it's not all for naught. I didn't give the money away. I want to make sure that I'm taken care of and then my, my kids get the, the money that I don't use. So, you know, there's some, some struggle there as to how do I derive all that I want. And there is a balance. Uh, the common way that I see in my office is uh, social security annuity and um, uh, stock market bond stock type portfolios. They work very, very well. You have dividend income, you have guaranteed income with the annuity adjusted for inflation, at least the ones that we use. And then also you have social security adjusted for inflation and or PRS or whatever you might have. And you know, here PRS is very, very common, which is if you work for Ohio State, you don't get social security, you get uh, the public employee retirement system benefit. If you work for the government, you get something similar. So it's important that you diversify that income so that if one, you know, if you only had a third of your income tied to the market and the market pulls back, it doesn't have nearly as a dramatic effect on your life as if 100% of your income was coming from the stock market. One thing I wanted to ask you about was reverse mortgages as a source of income in retirement. You know, for a lot of people, particularly in bigger cities, you know, New York, California, et cetera, their house may be their biggest asset. For a lot of people in general, their house is their biggest asset, even in Ohio. And if you would have asked me 10 years ago, Diane, do I like reverse mortgages? I would have said absolutely not. Uh, they seem to be, and I may be off of my timeline here, but it was kind of the Wild West. I mean, they were unregulated. Um, you know, the commissions to the people selling them were astronomical. I mean, just crazy. So I was very much against them. It, was, it seemed to me like a, a way to prey on people who were desperate uh, in desperate situations, which that type of predatory scenario, you know, obviously I've never been a fan of. Now, however, they are heavily regulated, and they can be a very viable option for people who have a huge asset, don't want to leave their home, but at the same time can't afford to necessarily maintain the payment. So let me give you an example. Let's say I want to retire, but I still have five years of mortgage payments remaining. I have a $500,000 house. I only owe $40,000 on the house, but I or $50,000 on the house, but I have five years worth of payments at $2,000 a month or whatever that number is. And that's my restrictor plate from me becoming retired. But I don't want to move out of the house as the house I've lived in for the last 30 years or whatever the answer is. Well, reverse mortgage lenders on average will let you borrow uh, about half of the value of your house, sometimes a little bit more than that uh, based upon your age. But easily you could do the $40,000, never have a payment left on that mortgage again, and you get to live in the house until the day you die. That does not mean that the day you die, you give up your house. Your kids, or whoever you leave your house to, simply has to pay off the note. 
the note is just like a regular mortgage, but it's been gaining interest that you haven't been paying back. Think of it as a balloon payment to be paid at death. So let's use that same example. At a $500,000 house, I took out a reverse mortgage on 50000 That 50000 is now, by the time I passed away, it's 100000 because it's been accruing interest that I haven't been paying on. But my house is now worth 600000 Well, my beneficiaries still get the $500,000 difference between what my house is worth after they pay off the note. I just didn't make mortgage payments along the way. So it's a very viable option to stay in a home. It's also a viable option, same scenario, $500,000. We pay off the note. We no longer have a payment. I could still get another you know, 200000 plus that I could set up as an annuity stream for the rest of my life. I could take out to do something you know, cool with it. Whatever you want to do, it's your money. So I think it is an option. The one downside to reverse mortgages, however, is the closing costs are significantly more than a regular or traditional mortgage. So just playing on that number being pretty significant. And the numbers that I've seen is usually about double to triple the closing costs of a traditional mortgage, which stands to reason your investors are buying these mortgages and they want to make sure that they make money all along the way. But it is a viable option. Uh, I don't have any skin in that fight. I don't do reverse mortgages, but I do have a few clients that have done them uh, and done them with pretty good success. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, can we go over this uh, rebalancing retirement accounts? Good idea right now? Well, I think rebalancing is always a good idea. The question is, how do we do it and when? The concept of rebalancing is effectively... Um, you're just looking at your portfolio and you're rebalancing the asset classes, meaning I have some large stocks, some small stocks, international stocks, you know, uh, bonds, cash, real estate, et cetera. And at some point I decided that these are the ratios that I want. I want X percentage in one and X percentage in the two. The most basic version of rebalancing is just calendar rebalancing. So every January 1st, I'm going to go back and readjust all of my assets back to where I started. And effectively what you're doing is you're you're selling some of the winners and you're buying some of the losers, which is rebalancing means buy low, sell high, right? And again, the most primitive form of that is just based upon the calendar. Um, you can do it quarterly. You could do it monthly. Usually what I see is people will do it annually or quarterly. And there's definite value in that, and that can be proven over time. The other one is a more rule-based or system-based approach, which says based upon some economic factors and based upon my age, I will make adjustments, my risk tolerance. So for example, um, if uh, volatility reaches a certain level, my portfolio will automatically uh, shift shift the allocation to a different type of allocation. So uh, we have a money manager that describes this in scenes. So depending upon what the scene of the economy is, that's how that portfolio will be allocated. Now, obviously, this particular money manager does this for you, but if the market looks very poor, it'll automatically shift to a more conservative position. When it looks like it's going to rebound back, it'll automatically shift to a more aggressive position within some sort of rule-based confines. And that's just one example of what the rules could be. There's many, many rule-based type platforms, you know, when they shift to consumer spending or there's a whole, you know, a whole bunch of consumer staple products, they'll just shift all the way around. And that ideology is called tactical investing. Tactical investing is not new. It's been around for a really long time. I am a huge proponent of rule-based asset rebalancing or tactical allocations, not because necessarily tactical investing 
uh, increases the overall rate of return of a portfolio. I think that's a misnomer uh, where, you know, if I look at 20-year track records and we say, well, you know, this one, uh, Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. He says, I'm going to go to hedge funds and whoever beats, you know, the S&P 500 over the next 10 years, uh, I'll pay them a million dollars and he's yet to have to pay out or something like that. There's some rule, but that doesn't tell the whole story. The whole story is, let's say we start and stop at the same point. What does the line look like getting there? If I can start and stop at the same point as the overall market, but the line's much straighter, what did that do for my retirement income? When what did that do for my sanity and my stress level? So usually, or at least all the people I encounter when they reach retirement, their most important, uh, their most important goal that they tell me beyond I want to make sure that I can retire is I want to add stability. Um, I am now at that point in my life where I can't afford, these are their words I hear all the time, I cannot afford to lose 40, 50% of my money like happened in 2008. So how do I add um, you know, that level of stability to the portfolio? Tactical allocation or tactical investing does a great job of that. So not only do we have now, we talked about earlier, the three sources of income. So we know that we have two of our three sources of our income are, are relatively guaranteed. The third source of income then we have the ability to add this uh, parameter to it or this rules-based strategy to it to limit volatility. Well, how strong is that? Uh, we have tons of money managers that uh, last year, well, I can give you one money manager before, last year did not do as well as a stock market. Very close, though, and only went down less than half of what the stock market did during this re recent coronavirus drop. What would you rather have? If we start and stopped at the same spot, let's say 10 years from now, would you rather have had that fluctuation be only half as much? And what would that do for your overall psyche in general? Most people would rather ride a much smoother roller coaster when they're retired. So to answer your question, Diane, rebalancing for sure, very important. It works. Is now a great time to do that? It's always a great time to do it. Um, there's two ways to do it. You can either do it just very arbitrarily via the calendar, which is still better than nothing, or you can do it on a more tactical-based approach which can greatly limit the volatility in your portfolio. So huge proponent of both. Uh, both. Obviously, the second one is my preferred. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Peck. I'm Diane Brennan. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy and to schedule your customized planning session, go through the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S-Wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.